In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Hear this, all you people. Give ear, all you inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak of wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall be of understanding. I will incline my ear to a parable. I will open my dark saying upon the heart. Why should I fear in the days of evil, when the iniquity of my heels shall surround me? Wise men die. Likewise, the fool and the brutish person perish and leave their wealth to others. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Man who is in honor, but who doesn't understand, is like the beasts that perish. Psalm 49. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we need understanding, don't we? We need what only God can give, which is above and beyond the passing things that we so foolishly set our hearts upon. We need to incline our ears to what Jesus says. If we do not, regardless of our success in life, our end will be the way of all flesh. Eternal sorrow will overwhelm our souls and we will perish forever. In this, at least, the beasts that perish give us reason to envy them as they face darkness alone and no judgment. Our souls are created to have more than earthly life. And whatever evidence your own conscience gives that this is true will be made all the more unbearably plain when your soul is stripped of its earthly body and made to stand naked before God in all-seeing judgment. Whatever honor you have is nothing if you are not honored by God. Jesus teaches us where to find God's honor because Jesus wants us to rejoice forever. He speaks and we listen so that we may return to our homes today with a proper understanding of this most important lesson. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus predicts three things for his disciples, and these three things will also happen for us. But all three must occur if the third is to occur as well. First, you will not see Jesus. Second, you will see him again. Third, you will rejoice forever. The reason Jesus' disciples would spend a little while not seeing him is, as Jesus tells them, because he goes to the Father. The reason they would see him again is for the same reason, because he goes to the Father. The reason their joy would be full and of such a sort that no one would be able to take it from them is also for the same reason given. Again, because Jesus goes to the Father. Now, this is all very interesting. Talk about inclining our ear to a parable in a dark saying. Talk about needing understanding. The fact that Jesus goes to the Father is the cause of three things. His disciples will not see him. His disciples will see him again. And the joy this will bring 
them will last forever. But what is Jesus talking about? How can this be? What does it even mean? So asked the disciples among themselves. They asked each other. They didn't dare ask Jesus. We'll return to what Jesus meant in a moment and what it means for us since this is what we're truly after today. But for now, let's consider the significance of the disciples asking themselves instead of Jesus. You may remember how once the disciples asked Jesus what his parable of the sower and the seed meant. And Jesus told them. He didn't shame them for being so slow to understand. He just told them. To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, Jesus said. But to the rest it is given in parables. That seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. And then he told them the interpretation. And we all know it well. Or did they think that Jesus was flattering them? To you it has been given. As though Jesus were saying, yeah, those other people are hopelessly dense. They can't get it, but you, you get it. The parable is this, guys. No, of course not. Seeing, they don't see. Hearing, they don't understand. Why? Because instead of asking Jesus what it meant, they stand around trying to figure it out on their own. But the disciples asked Jesus. Their access to Jesus, and they're asking Jesus, is alone what set them apart. So to them it was given to know the mysteries that are hidden from others. Jesus showed them what it meant and gave them understanding because they asked for it. Because he was there. And what a tremendously simple lesson. To you it has been given. Why? Because when you saw something and when you heard something, you consulted Jesus for the meaning of what you saw and heard. So simple. To the rest it has been given in parables. Why? Because they saw and they heard, and instead of asking Jesus, they consulted their own reason, their own feelings, their own experience. It's so simple. Whatever you ask the Father in Jesus' name, he will give you. Does it look confusing? Does it sound unclear? Ask. What does this mean? Ask it. And as the scripture is promised to those who seek the Lord, it will be given. The disciples were right to ask Jesus what his parable meant, so why would they now fail? Why would they ask each other this time instead of asking their Lord? For one, they don't want to expose the weakness of their faith. It's like what we read in John chapter 20, when seven of the disciples are eating breakfast with Jesus by the sea after his resurrection, and they knew it was Jesus, but they didn't dare ask him if he really was Jesus because they totally knew, but they still wanted to know. Their faith was there, but it was a hard truth to hold on to because the news was so good. They knew, but they were filled with doubt. Another reason they didn't ask is because what Jesus was saying sounded like bad news. So the devil can work doubt in our hearts when the news is too good. How much more so when the news is what you don't want to hear. It's like they were afraid of what Jesus would tell them if they asked. And sure enough, what did it mean that in a little while they would not see Jesus? Sure enough, it meant exactly what it sounded like. They will weep and lament. They will be sorrowful. And honestly, I think they could have figured this part out. What does he mean? What do you mean? What does he mean? 
In a little while, you won't see him. That's what it means. In a little while, there will be no seeing but not seeing. No, there will be just not seeing. In a little while, there will be no hearing but not understanding. No, there will be nothing to hear and nothing to know. You'll be left with nothing but your own thoughts and regrets. So why in the world, if you will soon be left with nothing to see or hear from Jesus, to whom you now have access, why in the world are you looking at each other and asking of each other? Ask Jesus. But why not? Why don't you, Peter, James, John, and all the rest of the disciples and all the rest of you? Why don't you? It's because you don't want to see. You don't want to understand. Like a man who doesn't want to ask his wife if she still loves him because he'd rather entertain false hopes than hear what he kind of already knows. Or a mother who doesn't ask her son if he has been doing drugs or something much worse because she thinks she knows he has but would rather hope it's not so than initiate the hard road of dealing with the grief of knowing for sure. Or a tempted young man who knows what is sinful and what will hurt him and war against his soul but wants to pretend the choice is unclear so that he can do what his flesh is lusting for. How was I to know? He almost plans on saying. Because there's a certain cozy comfort in ignorance. How often have you heard or made the excuse that you just don't know? How was I to know it would hurt your feelings? How was I to know that I shouldn't have done this or that? How was I to know you didn't want me to repeat what you told me in secret? How was I to know you wanted me to let you know where I'd be going before I left the house or after work or school? How was I to know? Well, and perhaps this is going out on a limb here, you could have asked. But the cozy refuge of ignorance seemed like a surer thing than anything you might have heard had you simply asked like you should have. We flee to it. We appeal to it. But it simply won't do. Yes, we know it well. The reason we don't ask for the truth from him who is the truth is because we are afraid of the truth and don't want to know the truth. It is unbelief. Whether it's a thou shalt not or a do not worry or even a come unto me, we find more solace in ignorance than in obedience because our excuses feel more sure than the peace of Christ. In a little while, you will not see me, Jesus says. Jesus hides from such faithlessness. My way is hidden from the Lord. No, the Lord is hidden from your way. And the disciples asked each other. Instead of Jesus, they were seeking hope in their sorrow and from each other's sorrow instead of from Jesus' sorrow. They sinned. Right in front of Jesus and against Jesus, they sinned. And they consigned themselves to sorrow and guilt because of it. But in him was their hope, despite their sin, from their sin, from their sorrow. In him was their hope against hope. Their hope to be delivered from sorrow and dread and doubt. And to rejoice instead in what good Jesus was preparing them for. The little while that Jesus was referring to with his disciples was, of course, a little while until he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane that very evening, and they would flee. 
He was going to drink the cup that his father had given him and drink it to its bitter dregs, all divine wrath against all human sin, including the sin of ignorance and the sin of appealing to ignorance and the sin of being okay with remaining ignorant. As we have considered, this ignorance is just another manifestation of the deep sin and self-righteousness within all of us. It's the unwillingness to ask Jesus what means what when we are scared or sad or tempted. (coughs) Jesus, without their request, without their permission, without their even wanting to know, goes to the cross alone to bear all their sin. And in that foolishness of our salvation, he puts to silence the foolishness of sinful men. Because it was what God wanted. It was what God had been making known from the very beginning. And they didn't know. And so it's a depressing little while for the disciples who refused to know. But see what is prepared for them by that same little while of deep sorrow. They learn how empty they are. And Jesus empties himself of all life and goodness he has as the very Son of God. They learn how cowardly they are, and Jesus bravely faces death and hell for them as the Son of Man. They learn how poor and miserable they are, and Jesus wins for them eternal life and the good and peaceful conscience they'll need to enjoy it, and to enjoy it even now. For what wealth, what honor, what pleasure can satisfy you if you do not have a good conscience? And what sorrow can you not bear if your conscience is clean? Jesus bore your sin. He bore the pain you're afraid of, the uncertainty that hurts more than pain, the helplessness you feel and know and regret, because you know you should be able to do all things through Christ who strengthens you, but you don't really feel this knowledge because you haven't fled to this knowledge, and you know you should have done more through Christ who stood willing to strengthen you, but you were too afraid to ask, and you consulted flesh and blood instead, and you have brought things to ruin, and now you pay for it. And you're still afraid to ask Jesus what must now be done because you don't think his word has the answer you need, but his word does. His words are spirit and they are life. This means something. If it means anything and it means everything, he has paid for you. That little while of worrying how you will pay for this or fix this corresponds to the little while when Jesus paid for you to redeem you with his own innocent suffering and death. His word His peace by which he cleanses your conscience always, always gives the answer you need. But we doubt. And so we need more than anything in the whole world to know two things when we suffer sadness. Whatever the cause may be and however petty we feel the cause may be. First, it is just a little while. You will see Jesus again. And second, God is not mad at you. By sorrow greater than yours, Jesus has turned away all anger in God, all annoyance and disappointment of these words seem like more powerful words than anger sometimes. Jesus has turned away all wrath by bearing all punishment. And he who lived a holy life takes his life back to give it to you. After a little while, they saw him again. He went to the Father. When they didn't see him, he was going to the Father by way of the cross to pay to the Father and win from the Father what we needed him to do. And when they saw him again, it was because his Father had accepted his sacrifice and raised him the third day. 
So they saw him again for the same reason they didn't see him at first. And for this same reason, their joy is eternal. Jesus went to the Father, first by way of his death, by which he paid for all sin, second by way of his life for us, by which he brings life to us, by the message of reconciliation, so that whatever you suffer, whatever you brought on yourself, however much your own unfaithfulness has increased your burden and travail, Yet God, who honored his son by raising him from the dead, proved thereby how short and little wiles, how little the wiles are. He has such love for you and will honor you and pull you out of whatever funk or depression or unspeakable sorrow you might ever know. That is, if you only believe that your sins are forgiven. And they are. How is that for the answer you need? When a mother is in labor, and you've heard these words of Jesus so many times, she is sad. Her hour has come. It hurts. There are dangers. There are other kids at home who miss their mom. There's the husband who's calmly taking care of things. And he's there for you, but, and you love him, but you know he's getting worn thin and his patience and endurance have a limit And eventually everything will fall back on you when it hurts. That's motherhood. The comfort Jesus speaks is not just an all's well that ends well lesson. No, it is a greater comfort than that. It is a comfort of knowing that you can confide in your Heavenly Father, who never grows weary, who is never tired of hearing from you, and who always stands ready to make good on the access he has given to you, to his throne of grace. So, dear Christian, you want and need this. You want and need understanding. So God leads you through sorrow, not just to bring you to heaven. He leads you through sorrow in order to teach you here and now, and again and again, if need be, the value of all you can expect from this world, which is dirt, so that you might learn to rejoice in the promise of heaven already. And it's a hard lesson, but it's a sweet lesson once the lesson is learned, even if for the umpteenth time. It is God trying your heart and training your faith to find your joy, not in what your sorrow produces. Labor pangs don't make babies, and your sorrow doesn't create life. So quit turning to it. God makes babies, and God creates life, and he loves it. You will find your joy in what God alone produces. You find your joy in the midst of pain and sorrow and uncertainty by commending yourself to him for joy that a man has been born into this world, that God himself was born a man into the same world you live and die in in order to carry your sorrows for joy, that whatever persecution or poverty or loneliness of this life or temptation and shame and guilt, yet we have access to God through Christ his Son. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Well, that's what we need, right? Understanding. So God teaches you to fear. He is terrible in his dealings toward the children of men, because he loves the children of men. He teaches you to fear, but he tells you to ask. He teaches you to consider how fleeting everything is, 
but he gives to you even now what lasts forever. You have Jesus. You know him. The joy you have in him no one can take away from you. For in him you have understanding. He is the Holy One. You do not die like beasts with him. You die like like a Christian. You die and rise daily in your baptism to face every little while of sorrow with confidence that you too have a new life that God himself says will never end. This new life is opposed to by the sinful desires of your heart. It is contradicted by the feelings you get. But it is approved of by God. And in Christ, his Son, it is given freely to you. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus unto eternal life. Amen.